be absolutely lying to you and to myself if I said I don't worry about the number every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lie to say that I don't. Hi there, me again. It would be great if you could hit the subscribe button below this video or wherever you're listening. It helps more than you think. It helps me get stuff done. Thanks a lot. Nazri, welcome to the Sound of Sales. Hi, Bram. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing today? Good, good. We're in the last couple of weeks of, uh, of Q2. So lots to, lots to get done with the team, but it's been an exciting, exciting couple of months so far. And uh, still a yep. lot to get done. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, very good. Very good. It's crazy how the year flies, right? I was I realized earlier today, like this is month six already. Yeah, I was saying in the in in, a, in the car over the weekend with my wife, we're like, it's halfway through the year, already halfway yeah. through the year. Where is twenty twenty two gone? You know, by the time we know it, it'll be Halloween. Uh, we'll be doing Christmas, <laughs> and then it's yep. Happy New Year again into a brand Wrap new year. Wrap up and That's done. Crazy. Absolutely, absolutely, it does, it does awesome. fly. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's insane. But at the same time, there's a lot happening within those months and weeks. But I feel like in sales, time flies. It's it like does. quarter over quarter. It never ends. No, definitely. Um, if I would give a call to your parents right now and I ask <laughs> them what their son does for a living, what would I get back as a reply? <laughs> oh, um, my mum would just say he's 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 always busy. He's always in meetings. Um, I think he sells something. I don't know. What, I think it's technology, something to do with tech. Um, but he's always talking to people. That's what he does. My son like he loves to talk, so he's always talking to people. Um, and, oh, and he manages a few people, I think, as well. I think that that's probably the response you'd get from my mum straight away. She's a very proud mum. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Do you ever talk about work uh, with her? I do. I sometimes get her advice on things because my mum's always been a, a big part of my life, and she she raised me from as a single parent from a from a quite a young age. And uh, I would always use her as a sounding board for any issue I might have in life, you know, personal or during education or school, um, even down to professional as well. So I'd get advice from her quite a lot. And so she knows what I go through. She knows kind of how stressful sales can be and um, and the ups and downs that you get. Because, you know, one weekend she'll see me and I would have had a great week, closed a few deals with the team, and I'll be in a great mood. And then next week it's, you know, the opposite. She goes, oh, what's happened? Busy time at work? Was it hard? What's happened? You know, do you want to talk about it? Um, so, yeah, I, I do I do go to her to get just some, just some sounding advice from mum. You can mm-hmm. never go wrong with mum. No, recognizable, recognizable. How 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 a mom can read you and your mood Absolutely. and how it was at work and, and what's going on in your mind. That's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> if you um if you need to explain in a couple minutes what you do today, what would that be? As a as a as a VP of sales. I would say my core responsibility is to ensure my team is successful in every aspect of their work and their day-to-day that ultimately affects the company's bottom line. Right? So I take full responsibility for the performance of my team, for the way my team behaves, the culture within it, 
the way they operate, their tenacity at times, their cautiousness at times, all of that is in, in, is in my responsibility to ensure that I give them and enable them to have everything they need to excel and be successful in their job. Because if they're happy people selling, ultimately we'll be closing more deals, we'll be delivering the right value to our customers and beyond, and that affects the company's bottom line um, in the most impactful way you can see from any team in the business. So I think that was how I would describe my core responsibility. If I look at it from the other side, from the customer facing side, what am I there to do as um, what's a company there to do as a whole is to ensure that our customers become successful by growing and increasing their online revenue. That's ultimately our mission as a, as a company. Mm -hmm. How do you get where you are today? Up to Take managing and running a commercial Take us back. team, how did, how did I get here? Well, um, <laughs> I think by accident is probably the right way to <laughs> the right way to start. But that's the short that's the short short story. And um, if we go all the way back to kind of first first job out of university, I don't think anyone decides they want to be a salesperson. It's not like you know you t back to mum. You know I go to mum and say, mum, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a dentist. I'm going to go study finance and work in a bank. You know those are the kind of roles that you go and tell your parents about. No one goes and says, mom, I'm a salesperson. You know, no one does that. It happens. Uh, but I, I, it happens. <laughs> exactly. So my first job out of university was, was, I was just thankful and grateful to have a job, to be honest. And I joined, um, I joined a graduate scheme at uh, Bloomberg, um, the big financial services and technology business, um, company of 11,000 employees at the time. And there's me fresh faced out of uni coming into this graduate rotation, not having a clue about anything. And the rotation took you through the first aspect of learning the product and understanding the finance background and basically doing university again, but over 10 weeks. And you're meant to do that role for about 12 to 18 months or so. And within the first six or seven months of being in that role, I started to work closely with one of the sales managers and supported them with some, some data and they wanted some uh, information and supporting one of their customer projects and built a good relationship with that sales manager. And ultimately he took me into his team um, six, seven months into the role. And that was my first taste of being a junior sales associate. So mm -hmm. at the time then I was, you know, booking meetings for some of the senior salespeople. So what was an SDR, um, but it was never called that at the time. Um, attending some meetings and shadowing, uh, running some small sales cycles myself until I got my own set of accounts that I was then working and, and, and progressing on. Did that for four years, learned a lot about the methodologies of sales because it was a big, you know, two, 3,000 sales person team. Um, so they were big on training and big on enablement. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot of that stuff. But I got, I got sick of being in such a big team. I wanted to make a bit more of an impact. And I moved into the first on the ground kind of role in a, in a startup that had been established for, for some time, but launching a new product. So it was a brand new, brand new product suite. And that was the first time I got a taste of what it meant to have product market fit. And looking back now, I realized the error that I made or the mistake that I made because without product market fit and being that first salesperson, it's a skill set you either enjoy and want to help and develop 
or it's something if you don't have product market fit, you just can't, you just can't be successful as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately for me, it was the latter. So I went in, we started booking meetings. We, were, we weren't clear on what the messaging should be. And it was changing every single time. When you're doing a demo, the talk track was changing, the value prop was changing because you're adapting to what the, you know, the prospect in front of you is saying. And you're trying to find the right messaging to use again and make it repeatable. Um, so unfortunately, didn't close any sales in those first few months. But um, I, and I actually got headhunted into another role. Um, but looking back at that business, they're now doing very well. Most of the meetings that I had are actually now paying customers, you know, six or seven years later. Um, so it did work out, you know, but just the wrong time for, for me to have joined them. In the, the role that I moved into, I was, um, again, the first kind of SaaS tech salesperson that they had hired and really honed the sales skills and studied the methodology and worked under two very brilliant sales leaders and um, a CEO that helped me kind of grow into what I, you know, look back and say was a, an enterprise account exec you know, and learning that whole skill set and learning the whole process of how to run a six figure, seven figure deal. Um, and was, was quite good at it in the end that I got given a team to manage myself. Uh, and, and they were the junior ones coming through from university, you know, first job hires, etc. And I learned how to start to nurture some talent and start to coach people into doing things the way that I do them because, look, it's working. It's a process that we can scale. Here's how you do it too. And then I did that for four years, moved on to another startup. You can tell I'm pretty addicted to startups now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's where I got my first taste of sales management. But in probably the most difficult period ever, and this is back in the first... Um, first months in summer of, of 2020 when we had the, the pandemic. And I was given the mandate of building and scaling a sales team from scratch, building the right processes and playbooks from scratch to ensure that the business was in a position to go and show its commercial momentum for its future fundraising rounds. And that's where I really learned to understand how to build out what is a growth engine, look at the components of each aspect that you need to think about and deliver that in a scalable, repeatable and predictable way, right? Those three magic words that every commercial team, every sales leader, every commercial CEO is looking for. How do I build a repeatable, predictable and scalable process? And under some brilliant leadership and and, um, with the, the, the director of sales at the time and the CEO, we delivered that engine in, in, effectively two quarters, um, which took us to to the, the fundraising round that we wanted um, and a, a team that was highly successful and, and building out a repeatable process. Mm-hmm. Then I went off to do it again where I am now. <laughs> again, a startup? Uh, you get, how could you tell? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, a Series A startup, um, again, en route to its next fundraise. Mm-hmm. Within there, there's um, the building of the process, the building of the growth engine, the hiring of the team. At what stage would you consider a company is ready to build that engine? What are the things in there that you look out for in order before you join a startup in doing that? Yeah, I've learned now um, 
that it very much is that product market fit. Um, and two ways of looking at product market fit. Number one is the messaging that I'm saying now, the value proposition I'm talking to you about now, how does that resonate and how does that align with the prospects, goals, and ambitions and growth trajectory? And if you've got that fit, that there's a pain, there's a problem, there's a challenge that only a piece of technology or solution can solve, and guess what? You're that piece of technology or solution. Then you've got product market fit type one. Product market fit type two is, okay, once we've got it in and it's been installed, it's been implemented, it's been running for a few months, what is the results that the business has seen? What are the benefits that that company can now talk to you about? Um, and what can they tell their friends and other peers about? And that's product market fit type two. So if you break that down into messaging around um, what is my need as a prospect, what is the value that I can now see and perceive, and what is the delivery? What can I actually do and what have I seen as a result? And if you can break it down into those three messages, that gives you product market fit type two. So for example, to give you a very, very basic one, um, let's take Slack, right? Mm -hmm. I, my, as a prospect of Slack, my need statement is I want to communicate with my colleagues and potential peers and other networks and communities. The value statement is now that I can communicate with my colleagues and peers and other networks, I have been able to get instant communication and instant problem solving. And then the delivery is because I've got Slack, I've seen my productivity increase by 25%. Very crude example, but that's kind of the way to think about it yeah. in, in um, market fit type, product market yeah. fit type too. But that's, I feel that's only one little part of when you're ready to build the engine. I think it's, it's a crucial part yes. where it makes sense to build the engine. But um, in terms of like how much people would you, if today you join a startup and they tell you like, okay, we have product market fit, we want to build a growth engine. What are we looking at in terms of resources? How many people do you think are feasible or should mm -hmm. you budget in order to build that engine even? Absolutely. Uh, and this comes down to kind of what do the founders of that business want to achieve? Right? Where do they want to see the business from a revenue perspective, from a size and scale perspective over the next 12 months, 18 months. And also, you know, what resources do they have financially to put into making that happen as well? So this is where you really start to build your first ever kind of top, top down or, or bottoms up model and kind of marry the two together. So obviously founders will have a target in their head. They say, we want to hit this number. And um, often that that's kind of up here somewhere uh, and then you after you've looked at kind of the model and just your basic assumptions and understanding of the data your numbers down here somewhere and you've got to kind of align the two and show them the route to the possibility so you really start to build your capacity kind of take the data that you've got today within your pipeline within the, the sales processes you've seen and start to apply that in a repeatable way so if you look at for example i have a hundred conversations i get five meetings, I get three opportunities, I get one deal. If you've got that data today, you just start to scale that with assumptions and with some coverage inside to understand, okay, if things go well, this is where we can land. If things go mediocre, we'll land here. 
And then that gives the founders a bit more confidence and understanding, okay, that's a mathematical route to, to getting our deal and getting yeah. our number. And that, yeah. once you've got that, that tells you how many people you need to hire as well, if you can marry the right model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's always a tricky part when I speak with founders or early stage companies. It's always like, yeah, we want to we wanna reach 2 million in ARR in the first year. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do that by XYZ, but it's always like a bubble. Like the numbers you put in your financial in your financial plan is like a lot of startups do this month times 30% extra and every month you're going to do 30% without actually emphasizing how you're going to get there and who you need to hire and, and that sort of stuff. Um, Absolutely. Who do you consider the most important hires in that first, that first stage? If we're talking... Um... You know, a company where it's literally just founder selling at the moment. Mm-hmm. I for think example. the first, yeah, for example, the most important hire at that point is an SDR. Right? Mm-hmm. Someone who can start to build pipeline, test the messaging, test the value propositions, do the right AB across different personas and really hone that in. And then that feeds pipeline for the founders to continue selling because the founders yeah. have got other things to focus on within the business and other things to grow. If you can get the right SDR in early on to build the pipeline, that sets you up for success going forward. Because the number one input to any model is how much pipeline do I have? Yeah. Right? That's the number one input to everything else besides accounts and TAM and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then the next hires I would say are your, your first salespeople, not your sales leader. I think at this point, it's probably still too early to get in a, a sales leader, a VP of sales, a CRO or whoever. I always advocate that the first hires should be people going to do the hands-on in day in, day out selling. Once you get your account executives in one or two and two very different styles of people is probably what I'd I'd suggest. Get one of those that is going to be high value, low volume and get the high volume, low value. So you can test both sides of the the enterprise and commercial model within, within within the sales cycle. See how long it takes to close the bigger ones. See how long it takes you to close the smaller deals. And then you can start to repeat and build off that. That's your core team. Your one SDR, your two account execs. Um, And those account execs should not be under any illusion that they're not having to do some of their own prospecting as well, right? Until you scale up their engine. So I'd probably say that little unit are your first three crucial hires. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the the conversation is going on right now online uh is that uh, your first hire should be a marketeer and that sales should come afterwards uh how do you feel about that one i'm one of the biggest advocates of not disconnecting sales and marketing i think every salesperson's a marketeer in my mm-hmm. opinion and i think every marketeer has an aspect of sales with them as well so why are we why are we separating them into two teams <laughs> They should be one True. single team. And this is the way we're set up at Okodo is that we call ourselves a growth function. And in that growth function, you've got marketing, you've got RevOps, you've got SDR, you've got account execs. Um, and at times you've got input and join uh, alignment from CS. All of those functions create the one aspect, which is growth. So I don't like to separate them. Should the first one be a marketeer and the second one a salesperson in terms of hiring? I mean, I wouldn't be against it, but like I said, I don't think there's a difference in 
in the way those mindsets should be operating. It's how do I deliver yeah. growth? Yeah, it's it's I think the discussion is is basically um, that because you, in the early stage, for example, you don't have your brand behind you. You're just building mm-hmm. out that sales team. Um, so the sellers will have a harder time because the brand is unknown. Uh, but on the other side, of course, the other people say, yeah, but why get my brand known if I don't have my revenue? Mm. <laughs> because if I don't have my revenue, the company will die anyway. Um, exactly. so yeah, it's, that's an interesting that's combination. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's worth thinking about it. Like, what do I can the founders keep selling for a while and and leverage the brand that is being put out there by marketing or i think it also depends on what model you're trying to build it can be if you're strictly building an outbound model instead of the inbound um yeah i can see in a in perhaps a, a a plg setup you know where the product is very much driving the growth you don't need too much interaction from sales until the product's embedded implemented people are yeah. using it then of course marketing makes more sense than going after an sdr and any kind of exec at that point but if like you say you're very much an outbound driven model where you need interaction with the prospects before they can close the deal then sales is probably the first hire so yeah okay yeah. i can see now depending on the product structure revenue structure of the company and um, which hire is probably the most important mm. you can take it with you for your next startup <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's, it's not anytime soon <laughs> It's about four years, eh, your mark? <laughs> yeah, four years. Yeah, two, two, three, three to four. Yeah, let's say two to four years now. Awesome. Um, what does it mean for you if you're building that organization, you're building that team? What does it mean for you to have a, a results-oriented culture? If I give you that word, what triggers that with you? For me in startup, results-oriented is about hitting them hitting the level or setting the level that you want to achieve that is as a vp you know is within the plan or above the plan of course because this is what you're giving your your team to do, deliver and then raising that bar every single time that you hit it and you have to be able to a track it every single metric within the within the kind of the revops view and b celebrate when you hit it as well So to give you an example, last week, my team, in one day, the SDR team kind of booked the most meetings that they've ever booked. And no one knew it was the record. They just looked at the number. They said, hey, that's quite high. You've had a good day. <laughs> and I said, you've had an amazing day because it's, you know, one point time, 1.5 times higher than you've ever done before. And the last time you went anywhere near this number was in February of uh, Q1. I'm like, oh, really? Wow. And then they all got really excited and, and boosted to say, wow, we've just broken a record. Um, and the same goes to kind of deals. So, for example, we closed a, quite a large deal a couple of weeks ago, and it was, in fact, the biggest one we've done as a team. And now we know what that record is. So we've got a, a, a Notion page set up that sh- sets every single record. So the biggest SQL, the biggest opportunity generated, most number in a day, and who owns each record. And then that drives kind of that results because everyone's looking at each other going, I'm going to knock you off the board. I'm going to put my name on the board instead of yours in a, in a fun way, right? No one's being yeah. kind of aggressive in any way. It's, a, <laughs> it's healthy competition. But that gives us the results-orientated view because everyone's subscribed and signed to the same plan, to the same objectives, 
and they know that it's a team that will deliver those numbers, not an individual. Mm -hmm. That's what it screams to me. How do you inspire your team to keep pushing that limit? Reminding them. Reminding them every single time that we have the opportunity. So for each um, each kind of stand-up that we do, you know, three times a week, um, and in the team meetings kind of once or twice a week, we sit and just set a state of the nation every time. Here's where we are today. Here's where we're trying to get to. And here's the route that I can see as your leader that gets us to there. Mm -hmm. And here are the actions each of you need to be doing to make sure we're on track and being able to get there. Are you aligned? Are you bought in? Yes, no. Any problems, speak up now. And that's kind of the view that everyone has because they know, okay, next time on Wednesday, um, we meet again. Naz is going to ask me where I am with these deals. He's going to tell me that these deals are making up the, the number. And if I don't have a good answer for him, he's going to, you know, I'm going to let him down. I never shout at my team. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I never kind of get angry at them, but I constantly remind them that they're here for a reason. They're here to deliver on, an, on, on exceeding results every single time. And that I and every single one in the team believes in them as well. And we're here to do it together. And that's how I keep everyone kind of accountable for it. And if you look at yourself, what makes you inspired to be your best version? I'll kick myself if I don't. So I've got a very, <laughs> for me personally, I've always had a, a view of every day I can be better. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's a very cliche thing to say every day I'm going to be better. You know, if I don't go shouting about it. I just tell myself. I'll sit at the end of the day and say, okay, what did I achieve today? Okay, that was good. That wasn't so good. Jesus, Naz, what were you doing there? That was awful. You know, I'd, I'd have those conversations with myself at the end of every single day and say, okay, well, tomorrow, if this arises again, this is how I'm going to tackle it. And I'm going to be better than the day prior. I'm going to be better than the month prior. I'm going to be better than the quarter prior. So always looking back and understanding where you've gone wrong, where things could have gone better, And look forward to understand, okay, what can I do differently next time it happens? How can I tackle this as, and make it an opportunity rather than having a risk on my back consistently? And that's how I strive to always drive and make my mindset tell, tell me you can do better and you can achieve better every single time. Mm -hmm. Can be exhausting though. I can't imagine. <laughs> it's something that I always have in mind, like, yeah, reflecting on your day, reflecting on what's happening, what's good, what's less good. Um, but every time that I think about it, I have to almost reflect that I didn't reflect because I forgot it <laughs> or yes. I didn't. Is it something that is really structured with you? I don't know about you, but I get the best ideas just as I'm about to fall asleep. <laughs> my eyes have closed my mind is about to shut down and it will go hang on hang on Naz. i've got one more thing to ping you and it will boom okay that's a great idea and i'll forget it if i don't act on it at that point in time i will forget it so what i do in that point is i will send myself a slack message and delay the send for the next morning so that way i've done it it's sorted i just go to sleep now Re recharge relax do what i need to do Wake up in the morning, I'm at my desk, first hour that's free, that triggered, automated stack meshes kicks in. This is what you were telling yourself last night. Here's how you wanted to act on it. Yeah. And then it's there for me, right? That's my way of structuring it. 
And if at any point during the day I feel like, hey, that wasn't that good, next time I need to do that better, or mm, I think we're going to have a problem here with this aspect or that aspect, again, let's just drop it into a Slack message to myself. And that way, that's my way of recording and keeping my own notes. You know, some people keep a journal, they write things down with a pen and paper. I'm, I respond much better if I type it than if I write. So that's the way I do it. Mm. Yeah, I have my best ideas when I'm driving my car. All that, I yeah. sometimes do audio notes and then... But that, sometimes I forget that I have an audio note. <laughs> <laughs> I might need to ping them to myself indeed. Yeah, exactly. If I, if I would call up one of your teammates right now and I ask them, like, what's Nas good at? Or what, what's, what's he good at for you? Like, what does he mean to you? What do you think they would say to me? I would hope and think that they would say my approach and ability to coaching with them okay um and i mean this from kind of an individual level like the team will know that if they get stuck on a deal or have um, a question that they're not quite sure on how to approach or something's happened in their in their sales process that they've never seen before they know they can come to me and we can kind of brainstorm it together and we all as a team take coaching very seriously and it's something that i've uh, kind of try to instill within the team and ensure that we we take it seriously. And it's not always me that's doing it. And I can give you a bit of insight into kind of our approach yeah. and, and how we do that. So there's two aspects to it. So we've got our SDR kind of team coaching, which happens weekly. And then we've got our account exec coaching, which also happens weekly. And the way we do it is we use a, a call intelligence software, um, which kind of records our calls, records our meetings. And at the end of each week, we get one SDR or one account exec to nominate a call from the week that they want some coaching on. And we put them in the hot seat. Uh, and they volunteered for this. We never pick anyone, just putting out there. They, 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 they volunteered the call. Uh, and then we'll get into the coaching session. And the first thing we will do is split up into two groups. And half of the group will be doing uh, constructive kind of development areas in terms of where we could do better in the call. And the other half will be doing positive reinforcement to look at what went well in the call, where the playbook was followed, where the sales process was followed, and what they delivered well. But the first person to deliver their feedback is the owner of the call. So they go first and say, this is what I did well, this is what I feel I could improve on. And then they have half an hour of group coaching from the rest of the team on those two points. And by the end of it, the whole team has learned something rather than just that individual. And we've all taken accountability for each other's success. So that's a long-winded way of me telling you, if you ask my teammate, they would say the way he enables us to coach and coach each other. <laughs> Within those sessions, do you, do you bring up theoretic stuff or, or things that you have learned along the way? Or do you just let them have their own session? No, I, I do. I do kind of feed in as well. Um, but what I love about my team is that they've all got experience. Um, even those that have only been doing the role for a year or two, they've done it in the hardest kind of economic environment in the last year or two, right? We've had booms, we've had COVID, now we've got downturns. So they've sort of seen and felt everything. And then I've got AEs that have been selling at the enterprise level, um, you know, for eight years or 10 years plus. So we've all experienced every sort of thing in inside our deals. So as much as I will allow them to, to share and dive in, 
if I feel I've spotted something that someone hasn't raised, yes, I'll give them my my own kind of take on it of how I would have handled it if I was in that situation. Um, and then we also adapt back to our playbooks and the sales methodologies and frameworks that we've been taught and we've learned and we've embedded. We always go back to that and make sure, A, we followed it, uh, and B, is our process and methodology still relevant? Has something shifted that we need to then adapt the playbook or change the playbook for it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that agile nature about our, our process kind of built in and everyone's on board with that as well. That it does change and it can change on a monthly, on a quarterly basis as we adapt yeah, to indeed. the prospects. Yeah, indeed. And it's something, it's something yet as a leader, you need to somehow stay up to date, I believe, with whatever is going on, all the technologies out there. How do you yeah. how do you keep your finger on the pulse on that one to make sure that your team is yeah like has the modern way of selling being taught to them you know what I mean yeah no of course so we reflect formally um, at the end of every quarter and then we reflect informally at the end of every month so we have kind of a win loss ratio um, uh, retro on our deals but then we also look at our tech stack we look at our process. We get the feedback for where things are going wrong, where things could be improved. Um, and the number one thing to make that happen is, as a sales leader, don't have an ego. Because if you get feedback on your process and someone doesn't like or it doesn't work, don't tell them, no, no, you're wrong, I'm right, I've done it this way. Listen, <laughs> right? Listen to the team. If you're not involved in the deals and you're not sitting with them, you can't even begin to guess what's happening in the meetings. Right? So be humble. Be able to listen to the feedback test the process yourself and what i do every every quarter is i will run one or two deals myself that the team don't know about just to test the process just to test that it's working and if i get it to a point where it's closing it's whichever ae loves me the most gets it that quarter (laughs) but um but i do kind of run cycles myself to test the processes i shadow all the calls with the team i'll listen back uh in terms of how i stay up to date I've got my kind of influences and people I follow on LinkedIn, books um, and podcasts that I listen to. Uh, I'm lucky to have my wife who is just a sales guru in terms of the methodologies and the frameworks and the training. Um, so I'm very lucky to have her and I can kind of dip into and ask her, ask her knowledge. Um, and like I said, it's just being humble and understanding that there's always a better way to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you come to think about it, there's so much weight on your shoulders, basically. These people are relying on you and your knowledge. Yeah. How do you cope with that? Is that something that you sometimes lay awake of? Like, how are, how are we going to achieve this? You're laughing, so there must be something. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'd be, I'd be absolutely lying to you and to myself if I said, I don't worry about the number every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lie to say that I don't and I would routinely look at it and go <laughs> how are we going to do this and then you know after a conversation with the team about their pipeline both individually or at a group level and to hear them passionately talk about their deals to hear them talk about their processes that they've got to hear how they used you know this framework we developed and it delivered xyz success and they're going to close the deal next week because the prospects agreed to the timeline and the mutual close plan that gives you the confidence to see that 
a a process you've developed is being adopted in the first place, like people are using it, uh, and B, it's delivering the results you expected it to, to deliver. And then that gives me the confidence when I look back at the number and go, well, it's quite a stretch, but we've got this deal, this deal, that deal, this deal. They're all in commit stage. All the process is followed. There's a 80% chance they'll come through. And look at that. We've got coverage to the number by 20%. now. And mm-hmm. you've got to be able to take that step back. If you just look emotionally every time, you'll kill yourself. And I've learned that. Um, I've learned that the hard way over the last kind of couple of quarters. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one because if you are thinking about it and letting it emotionally impact you, then it will flow over to your team. They will start to feel it as well and they will get demotivated as well. And then, yeah, you probably won't hit that quota and then everything goes loose. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it goes back to the point I was mentioning earlier about results orientated, right? It's no secret that in a startup, the targets just jump consistently every quarter. Every quarter has to be bigger than the last. And you need time to reflect and look back and say, team, we did X in Jan. Six months later, we've done three times that. And that's just six months. Think about it. You were only delivering this amount in January, and now you're doing three times that amount, and it's only been half a year. Be proud of the moment. Be proud of your achievements and always look up to the next level in the mountain that you're climbing mm-hmm. if you don't look back you know, it's not worth it yeah that's true and probably your team is growing as well to be able to reach that quota every time uh, yeah. so not everyone every single individual is stretched too much um, yeah because I think you you as a leader you've had a lot of experience in the past you've seen things you've went through things but of course and most SDRs are pretty fresh um and if you gave them that quota on their back and and they don't know how to stretch that or handle it then that has a backward effect yeah um i guess when you put it like that as well it's uh i think it's quite humbling to look at you know the sdrs you've hired the graduates the first time hires and that they look at you and believe that you know what you're doing yeah that's quite humbling. I never looked at it that way. And uh, to mm-hmm. think about all the people that I've hired recently and we're in this startup world together and, you know, we're not only we're building a business, but we're building friendships with each other. To feel that they all have faith in me is, yeah, it's quite astonishing. I yeah. don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, and no stress to you. <laughs> no, exactly. Okay. Um, as a last question for you, time flies. Yeah. Um, if I could give you a billboard at the side of the road and you can put anything on it, what would you put on that billboard? Call your mom. She has the most knowledge. Call your mom. That's what's going on the billboard. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a sentence that has a lot of meaning. It's One, it's something that can be related to if you're worrying about something, your mom would probably have good advice for you. But another thing is that um, I think, how do you put that? But it, it has this emotional feel to it. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, I, I see where you're going with it. And I agree. It's like you say, the first aspect is call them because they're going to have the advice you want. Yeah. 
but also call them because you deserve and she deserves yeah. that you both just take a step back from yeah, from work, from life, from rubbish, from stress. Just take a step back and have have yeah. a happy conversation. Yeah. Have a chat. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah that's sure. what I meant. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Cool. Before I go call my mom, I would uh, love to thank you for joining me on The Sound of Sales. <laughs> thank you, Bram. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me on.